Well, I'm excited about today's message again as we're continuing this study. I want to, to think a minute. Let's just say you have a large sum of money that is uh, maybe in uh, the stocks. And uh, you've got it, maybe it's wrapped up in Ford or something. And uh, you get a, a tip that there's going to be a huge scandal coming to Ford. And man, they're going to take a hit as a corporation. And so what would you do is, well, you'd probably get all your stocks out of Ford if you had a, a tip ahead of time that something was going to happen. Or let's suppose you have a classic car. You know, it's like a, I don't know, a 1964 Ford Firebird. Does that sound like a classic car? I'm not a big car guy. But you got this classic car and, and you've restored it and you maintain it and it's, it's parked away, you know, in your, in your garage. And you drive it sometimes. You show it off sometimes. But every October, what do you do with that car? You put that car in storage for the winter because you don't want the threat of winter to do anything to your car, the elements. How about another scenario? You, you live in a neighborhood and there's been a rash of break-ins in your neighborhood. People coming in in the middle of the night and stealing people's stuff. And, uh, I mean, there's been like every week there's a new break-in. So what do you do? Well, you go out and uh, you, of course, you uh, uh, buy a gun, learn how to use it for one thing. You put deadbolts on your doors and you install a home security system uh, just to kind of prepare yourself because when your family's threatened, you take some serious action. And then... Then there's your personal health. You, you maybe go to the doctor and you find you have a health issue and uh, you're kind of concerned about it and so you realize that you've got to take some medication or you've got to change your diet and, and your health is threatened and so you take the proper actions according to what the doctor might have said. This past week, listening to the radio, a lady called in to Andrew Farley again. He gives advice to people in biblical counsel, kind of, uh, from a grace perspective. And she has started a new job, and she was being treated really rotten at her new job, and she didn't know why. But there was this one lady in particular who just was really out for her. And so there was this one day, the lady came up and just said, I don't like you. And the, the, the woman responded, well, likewise. Well, that bothered her because she's a Christian and she didn't, she didn't really feel that way. She was just hurt. She didn't know why this woman didn't like her. And so she's asking Andrew, Andrew and Andrew said, well, it could be that this, this woman who's much younger than you, maybe she feels threatened by you. And when you feel threatened, you might get scared and then you might get angry. Those are common responses. Very good advice. So what do we just, what do we just uh, saw there in those, in those stories? If I feel financially threatened or if I feel a possession of mine that I value feels threatened, if a loved one feels threatened, if my health feels threatened, if maybe my job feels threatened, uh, I'll take action. I'll, I'll be like, I'll be concerned because something important to me is feeling threatened. And so <clears throat> just kind of, we're in this series here, the power of worship. We're living in the moment. We're transforming the day. And, and in this series, we're looking at this idea of, of, of a lifestyle worship. Worship that is a lifestyle, and it stands on these two legs. One leg is gratitude. The other leg is trust. And we've looked and discussed that and talked about those things. Well, here's the reality. We have said in this series that, that worship is indeed powerful. Worship is a powerful thing. And, and here's the testimony we looked at last week from David. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and exalt in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. So David is exalting, not just exalting God, exalting in God. He's rejoicing in God. He's putting his trust and his hope in God. And then he goes down in verse 10 and he, he, he just 
he kind of will reiterate this, but to place your trust in, to find your worth in, to exalt in God. And that's what David is doing in this sort of lifestyle worship that he exhibits. And then down there again, as I said in verse 9 and 10, the Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. And those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you, or we could say those who worship you when you worship God. It won't be a waste of time. There is something powerful about worship. And that's kind of the premise of this series, the power of of worship, and we talked about this issue that when we limit the scope of worship, when we reduce worship to a song we sing or a prayer we offer or a service we attend for you know a couple hours on Sunday morning, when we reduce worship to that, we really limit the power of worship in our life. Limit the scope of worship, limit the power of worship. But if you understand that worship's a lifestyle, when you understand that it's trust and gratitude expressed every day. Worship can be a powerful thing in your life. And so with that understanding, uh, we we come to this idea of the fact that our worship can be threatened. Because, listen, if if worship is so powerful, wouldn't it stand a reason that Satan will be out to get your worship from you, to take your worship from you, to steal your song from you? Because worship is powerful. And so we want to talk today about the greatest threat to our worship, Psalms 115. We'll just read through this quickly. It'll tell us the threat to our worship. Listen to this. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name. Give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Why should the nations say, where is their God? Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak, eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear, noses but do not smell. They have hands but do not feel, feet but do not walk, and they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them, so do all who trust in them. O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. And so you see the greatest threat to our worship is when we begin to worship Well, it's misdirected worship. It's when we worship something else. That's the greatest threat to our worship. When I put my worship on the wrong object, in the wrong person, in the wrong thing. That's the greatest threat to our worship and that's, of course, what Satan's gonna want us to do, to worship something other than the one true God, our creator, our redeemer, and our savior. That's the simple reality. The greatest threat to our worship is this idea of a misdirected worship. And did you catch verse 8? Let me go back. Look at verse 8 again. Those who uh, make them become like them, so do all who trust in them. That's why these idols are so dangerous, because what we worship, we become like. We we said that earlier in this series, right? It was that, that quote by Ralph Waldo Emerson. And in fact, today, that quote is our big idea. Here's our big idea. What we are worshiping, we are becoming. That's Ralph Waldo Emerson. So I'm not plagiarizing there. That's his quote. But no, it's the Bible's quote. It's right out of the scripture. We just read it. What we are worshiping, we are becoming as our deities shape our identities. Whatever we worship, it will begin to be reflected in what our life looks like. That's the reality. So thinking about this idea again. Lifestyle worship, it's trust and it's 
gratitude. And, and if you thought of trusting gratitude as two legs, and we've had words we've put under trust and words we've put under gratitude, a word under gratitude that would certainly fit into the series would be value. What we value or what we treasure or what we find our worth in. Those are the things we're grateful for, right? And so think about that idea. Whatever I place my trust in and whatever I value and I find my worth in, that will end up defining me in practical terms. Now, it's true. My identity is in Christ. He defines me, which is all the more sad when I find my worth in something other than Christ, when I find myself in a worthless idol. That is the reality. So this morning, we're going to go to Isaiah. Isaiah 44, 45, and 46, there are three chapters here that all deal with this idea of idol worship, and uh, they're all, they all have great stuff in it, but we're going to just go to Isaiah 46 six this morning, and I want to see three ways that idols threaten our worship, three, idols, three ways that idols can threaten our worship and can steal our song. And this will be good and practical stuff. And so we're going to start in chapter 46, verse 1. Bel, which is a common idol of that day, bows down, Nebo stoops. Their idols are on beasts and livestock. These things you carry are born as burdens on weary beasts. They stoop, they bow down together. They cannot save the burden, but themselves go into captivity. First lesson we need to know about these idols and how they can threaten our worship is that our idols can take us captive. Our idols can take us captive, and you might think, well, I don't have any idols in my house. I don't have any, you know, statues in my... We're going to, as we go through this, we're going to try to figure out what are the idols potentially in our life that are threatening our worship because there are idols today, and they're maybe not blocks of wood, and they're maybe not covered in gold, and maybe they are. But we're going to kind of kind of figure out what some of these these um, idols could be. Now the context here for Israel is they're being taken captive into Babylon, leaving their homeland. And as they're being taken into captive, they have these idols they worship. And uh, the the, the thing about these idols, here's the reality about these idols, is that these idols are what, that's why they're going into captivity. Because they worship these idols. They worship things other than God. And so God said, hey, if you, if you want the gods of Babylon to be your God, you might as well go live in Babylon. That's kind of the thinking. And so he lets them be taken captive by Babylon. And they spend 70 years there. It was prophesied this would happen. They spent 70 years in Babylon. And it was a really, really, really sad reality. Now the core lesson up front for us is that when we worship idols, when we worship anything other than God, it can take us captive. So these idols are responsible for them being taken captive. That's why they're spending these years in Babylon. I love this verse in Galatians 5. We looked at it a couple months ago. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Christ set us free so we can live free. We've been set free to live free. So don't let an idol, don't let something of this world that as we begin to worship it, don't allow it to take you captive. That is so incredibly important. Now here's the thing. The, the false idols that led them into their captivity, this is the, one of the ironies of this whole chapter, they went into captivity with them. Not only could these idols not save and deliver them, when Israel was taken captive, they hauled all their idols with them. They loaded them on beasts and took them in to captivity with them. 
That's the reality. And you know, the thing is, it's really hard to worship when you're taken captive by your idols. It is. This was Israel's testimony. I, I thought, you know, I thought this was in the Bible, and I did a little research, and I found the passage. It's in Psalm 137. By the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. They're thinking of their homeland. On the willows there were hung up our lies. For there our captors required of us songs and our tormentors mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. And they responded, How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? You know, it was really hard to find their song when they were taken captive in Babylon. And when we're taken captive by our idols, it can be really hard to find our song and to worship. So don't let any idols take you captive and steal your song. Don't let that happen. But realize the threat of those idols. Christopher J.H. Wright said it this way, the worst thing about idols, as the Hebrew scriptures so tirelessly point out, is that they are utterly useless when you need them the most. You know what else is beautiful in this passage? And it's in verse 2. And in verse 2 it says, it, uh, it says this, they stoop, they bow down together. So these idols, that they, these false idols, they stoop, they bow down together. And that is a hearken back to chapter 45, one chapter earlier. And it says this, Turn to me and be saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. To me, have you heard these words before? To me, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall bow. Swear allegiance. Paul quotes that in the book of Philippians. It says, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Christ is Lord. And the, the idea here is that these false idols, they're actually bowing down and worshiping the one true God because they're symbolic of Satan. And, and Satan, eventually Satan will bend his knee and say, you are Christ, you are Lord. He will exalt Christ. He will never exalt in Christ. He'll never put his trust in Christ. He'll never rejoice in Christ, but he will exalt Christ in these idols uh, symbolically, are bowing down. So the question we're left with then is what idols are currently taking us captive? What idols are currently taking us captive in our own life? What idols are enslaving us? What idols are threatening our freedom? What idols are taking away our song? Now again, it's not that they can actually take away our freedom. We are free in Christ. We've been set free to live free. It's just we don't always live free. We allow idols to come in and steal our time and steal our song and take us captive. So how do we identify these idols in our life? If we want to identify, how do we identify them? Well, you identify them really in two ways. What do we value and what do we trust? Look at what you value, where you spend your time and your money and your energy. What do you put your trust in when the chips are down? That is ultimately what we worship. Here's a little bit of a picture. I was going to do a whole table on your handout. I just could not. I, I had so much stuff and I couldn't get it all organized in a way that made sense. And so, But I'll give you the, the top of this table. Here's three key gods that we can worship. Pleasure, power, and intellect. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Those are the three key sins identified in Genesis chapter 3. And we can be captivated by lust, captivated by greed, captivated by pride. And one of our gods, one of our, if we have false idols in our life, they'll, they'll fall somewhere under those headings probably and be very much more specific than even that. 
even that. One last thing here before we go to point two is this. We have been taken captive by Christ and set free. So just remember that. Just because we don't live like we're free, just because we let an idol take us captive doesn't mean we're not free. We are free. We've been set free by Christ. Here's the scripture passage in Romans. We looked at this in the last series. Romans 6. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one to whom you obey, either of sin which leads to death or of obedience which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed and having been set free from sin have become slaves of righteousness. That simply means the default position of our heart is we want to worship God. We want to worship God. We don't want to worship the idols of this world. We really don't. Our, our, our mind can lie to us and tell, tell us, yes, we do, and no, we really don't. The default position is to let go of those idols and to live in freedom and to exalt in Christ. Okay, that's the first, first. So first thing we need to know, these idols, the first threat, these idols can take us captive. They don't need to. They shouldn't. We're free, but they can take us captive. Okay. Let's go on in Isaiah 46, verse 5. It says this, To whom will you liken me and make me equal and compare me that we may be alike? Those who lavish gold from the purse and weigh out silver in the scales hire a goldsmith and he makes it into a god. Then they fall down and worship. Here's the second threat to our worship. When we worship that which is not worthy of worship, we fail to worship the one who is. If I, ex- if I spend my time worshiping a false idol, if I spend my time worshiping something of this world, that's time that I can't spend worshiping the one who is truly worthy of our worship. In other words, when we worship a fake idol, we are kept from worshiping the true God. Now, we kind of said that already, right? It's hard to worship God when we're captive. It's hard to find our song when we've been taken captive by the idols of this world. But it's not even hard in some senses. It's, it's actually impossible. Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You cannot serve God and whatever idol you want to put in there. You can't serve God and another person. You can't serve God and your career. You, you, you can't serve God and, and, and your, your own self-image. You can't serve two things. That, it's impossible. And, and again, what does it mean? Well, really, serve there means to worship. You can't worship these two things at one time, right? You can't worship God and money. and Because worship is trusting and finding your worth. If I find my worth in something other than God, I'm not finding my worth in God. If I'm trusting when the chips are down, if I'm trusting something else other than God, then I'm not worshiping God. So it's really impossible if we worship an idol to really at the same time fully worship God. We lose our song. If a crisis strikes, I have a choice. I can trust God or I can trust my idols. I can genuinely trust God. I can't genuinely trust God while trusting in an idol. And in the same vein, I can't find my worth in my idol and in Christ at the same time. Now again, I'm in Christ. I am in Christ. He is my worth. He's my identity, which makes it all the more sad when I find my worth in another 
false idol of this world. That's what makes it so sad. And we do it so easily. So when we worship the one that is not worthy of, of worship, we fail to worship the one who is. Um, look down here, okay? Isaiah 46, 5 and 9. To whom will you liken me and make me an equal and compare me that we may be alike? Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. The reason that God is so worthy of our worship is that God is this incomparable God. He's the incomparable one. There is nobody that can be compared to God. No idol can even stand next to him. It's just incomparable. That's the, 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 the point here, the idea here is that we worship the one. There is one, actually, that is truly worthy of worship that is beyond compare. No other God, no other religion, no other belief system, no other object of worship is worthy of our worship. It's that simple. So what Isaiah does is we can find at least five traits in this passage that tell us why he's beyond compare. Let's look at him here. Verse 3, Listen to me, O house of Jacob, all the remnant of the house of Israel who have been born by me from before your birth, carried from my womb. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient time things not yet done. He's incomparable because he is the eternal one. God, Yahweh, is the eternal one. He's the one that has always been and will always be. We have these gods we worship that rust and fade and can burn up in a fire. And yet there's the eternal one. Verse 4, even to your old age, I am he. And to gray hairs, I will carry you. I have made and I will bear. I will carry and I will save. He is the faithful one. And, and it's pretty amazing. We live 90 to 100 years on the earth. And we struggle over 90 through 100 years to really be faithful, right? <laughs> to really be faithful and dependable at times. We're not very good at that. Here's the eternal one who has been faithful for all of eternity from beginning to ending. And there is no beginning or ending. He has been and always will be the faithful one who created us and who carries us even to our old age. In fact, that leads us to the next description, verse 7. They lift to their, lift it to their shoulders, they carry it. They set it in its place and it stands there. It cannot move from its place. If one cries to it, it does not answer. You've, you've got these idols and they can't respond to you. But our God, Yahweh, is the personal one. He's the personal God. He's the idol that is personal. That has carried us and will welcome us into eternity. When time comes, he not only hears us, he listens to us, has empathy for us, and responds of us. He's given us his word. Think about, think about the Bible compared to any other book. You have book clubs, right? Book clubs get together, and they, they get together, and they read over a six-week period. They read Macbeth by Shakespeare. And they get together, and they ask this one pressing question. What is the author trying to say? And we have Bible studies and we get together and we study the Bible and we get together and we ask that same question. What is the Bible trying to say? But you know what? The Bible asks an even deeper question. You know, you know what question the Bible ultimately asks? What is the Bible trying to say or what is God trying to say to me? Because God is the personal one. 
He's eternal, he's faithful, and he's personal. Verses 9 and 10, I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose, calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of counsel of my counsel from a far country. I have spoken and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed it and I will do it. He is the purposeful one. He's the idol that brings purpose to our life. He's the idol that has great purpose. And it's fascinating to put all these together. He's the, 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 the purposeful one who's got a purpose, who is faithful to carry out that purpose throughout eternity. And in fact, it's better than that. He, he is faithful to carry out that purpose. Where? In your life personally through all of eternity. He's the personal God who's going to take his purpose and faithfully carry it out in your life from the moment you're born till the moment you die. He alone is worthy of worship. He's incomparable. Isn't it just so incredibly, incredibly powerful? And finally, we go to verse 12 and 13. Listen to me, you stubborn of heart. You are far from righteousness. I bring near my righteousness, which is a shout out to the gospel, a shout out to Jesus Christ. It is not far off, and my salvation will not delay. I will put salvation in Zion for my glory. He is the righteous one. He is the righteous one. How, how beautiful is that? And, and all of that takes us back to our big idea. Why does all that matter? Because of our big idea today. What we are worshiping, we are becoming as our deities shape our identities. The point is, if you want a life, if, if you want a life of more eternal value, if you want to leave an eternal mark on this world, who do you worship? The eternal one. If you want a life of purpose and meaning and satisfaction, who do you worship? The one that's that can bring purpose to your life. If you want to be more faithful and dependable, who do you worship? The faithful one. Why is it so hard to be faithful in this world? You know why it's so hard to be faithful and dependable in our relationships today? Because faithfulness requires what? It requires mercy, and it requires grace, and it requires patience, and it requires forgiveness. And who has all that for us? That's right. Thank you, Steve. That's right. He's the righteous one. You want to be a person of righteousness and justice in this world, worship the one who is righteous and the one who is just. Well, that's good stuff. Very good stuff. So the threats to our worship, well, basically, I think it's, it's this. Um, that last point there is if you want to be incomparable, worship the incomparable one. It's not on the handout there, the, the, the screen. Okay, so... Threats to our worship. Our idols can take us captive. When we worship that which isn't worthy, we can't worship the one who is. And here's our third and final threat to worship. Our worship can be a burden or it can relieve our burdens. Huh? That's right. Our worship can be a burden or it can relieve our burden. Now, think about that a minute. Didn't you see that's the greatest irony of this whole chapter is that here are these gods that they're putting their trust in and they're worshiping these gods and their gods are actually an incredible burden. An incredible burden. Let's look at the text. Uh, I didn't put the text on the screen. I'll read it here. Listen to me. Listen to me, O house 
of Jacob. Verse 3. All the remnant of the house of Israel who have been born by me from before your birth, carried from the womb, even to your old age I am he, and the gray hairs I will carry you, I have made you, and I will bear, I will carry, and I will save. Down to verse 7. They lift it to their shoulders. They carry it. They set it in its place, and it stands there. It cannot move from its place. If one cries to it, it does not answer or save him from his trouble. The reality is their idols were a huge burden. Think about that. Your worship can be a burden or it can relieve your burdens. Think about that. Think about that word trust again. You know, there's this, this, this sense of, we think about Trust and, and, and gratitude, these two legs of worship. And under trust and gratitude, there's other words, okay? Under gratitude, there's this idea of value and treasure. And over here under trust, another word under trust would be hope. Did you know the reality is that what you trust is where you find your hope? Think about that angle. When it comes to what you worship in life, whatever you worship in life, whatever you put your trust in, that's where you find your hope, that shows you the futility of some of the things that we can tend to worship. So the reality is make sure that you're trusting something that truly can bring hope into your life. Here's a great passage, Psalms, or it's a Psalms actually, not Isaiah 46. This is Psalm 65. I got a misprint there. Psalm 65. By awesome deeds you answer us with righteousness, O God of our salvation, the hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas, there's a hope for you. There's someone you can trust, the hope of the ends of the earth. Uh, going on, the one who by his strength established the mountains, being girded with might, who stills the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, the tumult of the peoples, so that those who dwell at the ends of the earth are in awe at your signs. You make the going out of the morning and the evening to shout, for joy. There is a God worth worshiping, a God of hope, a God you can trust. And again, why is this so important? What we are worshiping, we are becoming as our deities shape our identity. So here's what I want to do. Let's just take a quick spiritual, uh, a little bit idol assessment in our life. A spiritual threat assessment, we'll call it that. And let's see, as we go through this, if any of these, you might say, well, that could be an idol in my life. And this took me a lot of time to kind of narrow these down, and, and we're not going to hit every possible potential idol, but here are some common ones, okay? For instance, control. Some people idolize control. They worship control. They have to be in control. And the problem is, when you have to be in control, you soon realize in this world you're often not in control. It's like the weather, right? All of a sudden, it's raining. You can't control the weather. And so when you can't control things, you will become angry and you will become afraid. You become scared and then the secondary emotion often is anger because you're afraid and you can't control things. It could be a God in your life that you worship this God of control. Uh, we see Psalms 56.3, the answer to this God. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. Well, it's real simple. We just reassign our worship. We reassign our trust. We reassign ourselves to the one who is in control of the entire world, the hope of the ends of the earth. We put our trust in Him. And here's the beautiful thing. If you allow yourself to be taken captive by Christ instead of by control, 
Isaiah 26.3, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. If you, have to, if you have to be in control, you'll be angry and afraid. If you can relinquish that to Christ, be taken captive by Christ, you can know true peace. Here's a second one, Christ equals peace. Here is a second uh, potential idol we might struggle with, power. Kind of related to control, but there are people that, you know, you just have to be, you know, power is important to you. It's just, it's just power. And, 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 and here's how it looks in our life. We become demanding, controlling, intimidating, and insensitive. We're probably irreasonable at times. But hey, I need to be, again, in control, but I need the power. I need to feel like I have the power. And the reality is, is this God is dangerous because it can destroy our relationships, as you can see. If you're demanding, controlling, intimidating, and insensitive, it will wreak havoc on your relationships. And the answer is found in Philippians 2. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And if you again can relinquish the need for power, and you can let yourself be taken captive by Christ, and you can trust in him, He will bring you. He will give you humility. You'll walk humbly in your relationships. You'll be an amazing thing. Here's another idol, potential idol. Christ brings us peace or then he brings us humility. Here's another one, pleasure. Maybe that is your idol. Maybe that is your God. You live for pleasure, for worldly pleasure. We sang it, I think, in the, the one song today. We sang that line, worldly pleasure. Here's what you're left with when you pursue worldly pleasure, guilt, shame, and regret. We are consumed with guilt and shame and regret. And this is especially true for us as believers who are, who are new creations, who have a new heart. This is especially true for us because our default position, we are slaves of righteousness. That's who we are. We want to do what's right. Our heart wants to do. That's why when we, when we do things we don't want to do, we just don't feel good inside. And we feel guilt. We feel shame. We regret those impulsive decisions in the moment just to give us a little pleasure, temporary pleasure. But the reality is our mind can lie to us and tell us we want to do these things. We want to get drunk. We want to get high. We want to party like it's 1999. We want to satisfy our flesh. We want to get revenge. We, this is what we want. And then when we do it, it's like, yeah, I didn't really want to do that, did I? And there's a great verse in 2 Timothy, or yeah, it's 2 Corinthians, I should say, 3. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So we are free. We are free on the first hand, from just pursuing the pleasures of this world that we really don't want to pursue. We're free from engaging those things. And then, if we stumble and fall, if we do give in to temptation, we are free from the guilt and the shame and the regret. That is, if you let Christ take you captive. If you let Christ take you captive, do not worship the idols of this world. Here is another one, Christ gives us grace and mercy then. Yes, sorry, getting ahead of myself. Get rid of the guilt, the shame, the regret, take, taken captive by Christ and you will find grace and you will find mercy. 
and realize, you know, that if you take, are taken captive by Christ and you worship Him alone, that all of these things, it's a package deal. You get the peace, you get the humility, you get the grace and the mercy, you get it all. Money, some people, money. You know, I just need money. Money, it's just, we freak out when we don't have enough of it. It's money, 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 money. And here's how we're, we're left feeling. Insecurity, greed, envy, selfishness. These are the things that consume us. We don't have enough money. We'll be envious towards those that have more money than us. Our greed will drive us to attain and make more money. But here's the, here's the stark reality about money. It's been true even going back to the wisest man ever, going back a couple thousand years, 3,000 years actually. He, Solomon wrote this, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. If your idol, if your God is money, you're never going to be satisfied. It's just never going to satisfy you. Never. Never, never, never have enough. Watch what happens though. When I worship God, when I am taken captive by Christ, then the insecurity, the greed, the envy, and the selfishness is replaced with what? Gratitude and generosity. How great is that? When I'm grateful for everything I have as a blessing from God and when I'm just a more generous person. When I don't worship money, I'm more generous to just give it away and I'm trusting God to meet my every need who is always so faithful how about yet another god how about when we worship people some people we worship people i'll tell you here's what the reality is if you worship anybody else in your life you'll end up discouraged and depressed because here's the reality people are always going to let you down they are we're just we're, we're listen i'll let you down don't put too much hope in me. I'll let you down. We'll all let each other down. If we worship our spouse, they're bound to fail us. If you worship your kids, they are sure to leave you. No matter who you worship, one day they're going to die. That's the reality. And the truth is no one can be responsible for your happiness or my happiness. Nobody other than me. I am the only one who can be responsible for my happiness because, catch this, I am the only one who will decide who my gods will be. I'm the only one who can decide who my gods will be. I'm the only one that will respond to the circumstances in my life. No one. No one else. No one else. At all. God's trying to get our attention here. It's okay. The reality is that's fine. No big deal. I mean, no one can worship God for us. No one can worship God for us. And so, just the reality. Here's the thing. Um... If you are taken captive by Christ, the people in your life, they will enhance your life. They'll be an, an add-on. They'll be the cherry on the top of your life. They will be the encouragement and the blessing in your life. From being discouraged and depressed to being encouraged and blessed. Wouldn't that be great if, if the people in your life, you would look at them and they, they never discouraged you or depressed you because you know what? You, didn't, you, didn't, you weren't looking for more from them than they could give. But they were an encouragement and a blessing. I love this verse. Here's a great verse. <clears throat> end, of, end of 1 Corinthians. Paul has a few verses like this tucked away. I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunus and Archaeus because they have made up for your absence for they have refreshed my spirit as well as yours. Give recognition to such people. So there are people that, you know what, we don't expect too much out of them, more than they can give. They will 
refresh our spirits. There'll be an encouragement. And, and you want to know, <clears throat> you want to be, you want to be a person that refreshes the spirits of other people? You know the key? You can write this down. It's not in your notes, but th- this should be on the, the notes. This, this, God told me this this morning. So those who worship best will refresh the most. <laughs> those who worship God best are going to refresh you the most. So that's the key if you want to be a person who's refreshing. And uh, I think we're down to the last couple here. Approval of others. Some worship the approval of others. I mean, they just have to find the approval of others. What, what does that look like in our life? Well, it's really hard to be genuine and real. If you're looking for the approval of other people, <clears throat> it is really hard to be genuine and real. It's impossible to take off the mask and say, hey, here's the real me because I'm afraid you won't like the real me. Paul was adamant throughout his letters that he did not seek the approval of man. He sought the approval of God. And it's really fascinating. Think about this. Paul, he is openly transparent about his past. He is brutally honest about his present. And he is incredibly clear about his future. Now think about this. Paul, what's Paul's goal? Paul's goal is to to get people to do what? To follow Christ. And here's Paul saying, you know what? I'm going to be brutally honest about what it looks like to follow Christ. You know, Paul didn't seek the approval of other people. He didn't, he, you know, he said, hey, this is, the, this is what it looks like. And it's worth it. It is worth it to worship the one true God. It's amazing. He showed people in great detail the adversity he faced, the persecution that he endured. And uh, he did not care about the approval of other people. One passage here, Jesus speaking one time. There were those who looked at Jesus and believed in, in Jesus. Many, even of the authorities, believed in him, Jesus. But for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it. So they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. How sad is that? And there were those that looked at Christ and said, I believe who you are, but if I confess who you are... I'll lose the approval of the people around me. And what is your God? Who do you want approval from? Proverbs 29.5 speaks to this as well. The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Put your trust in God. Look for God's approval, not man's approval, and you'll be safe. Now think about this again though. Who's, whose approval do you want more? Do you want the approval? Think about this. Follow me here. This is, this is really great stuff. This is wild stuff. It's great. Do you want the approval of the world who says, well, you've got to earn my approval and we've got to hide who we really are and pretend we're something we're not so they approve of us? Or you can go over here and you can worship God who says, you know what, I accept you and I approve you just as you are. And I, I'll, I'll make you everything I want you to be and I, I'll, I'll look at the real you. You don't have to hide who you are. Come to Christ. Be taken captive by Him. You'll find acceptance and approval. Doesn't approve of everything we do, but he approves of us and he is willing to look at us and look behind the mask. In fact, he already can see behind the mask. And then there is this one. Sometimes we worship work. We worship the idol of work. And if we worship the idol of work, here's the reality. We will end up exhausted and unsatisfied. Here's the reality. You've all heard of the ladder of success, right? Did you know the ladder of success? It is exhausting to climb the ladder. And when you get to the top of the ladder of success, what? You are unsatisfied. It's like, I expected something more at the top of the ladder. That's the reality. When we worship work, we often end up exhausted and satisfied. 
Barbara Brown Taylor shares this comment. This is an old article. I do not mean to make an idol of health, but it does seem to me that at least some of us have made an idol of exhaustion. The only time we know we have done enough is when we are running on empty and when the ones we love most are the ones we see the least. When we lie down to sleep at night, we offer our full appointment calendars to God in lieu of prayer, believing that God, who is as busy as we are, will surely understand. Wow. Wow, when we worship work. Here's the reality. Worship God, be taken captive by Christ, and you'll find purpose, and you'll find satisfaction, and you'll find meaning, and you'll find fulfillment. You don't find it at the top of the ladder. You find it at the foot of the cross. Right? That's what it's about. I can give you one last one. It's not on here. There's, we could talk about materialism. We could talk about, there's other ones we could, we could get into, but here's one that I didn't put on here. Some people, they make an idol out of their past. They worship their past. They worship their pain and their problems. And if you do that, you become a victim, right? You, you become a victim with justifiable behavior. Well, yeah, I know I'm this way, but you know what? I was the way I was raised and what I went through as a kid and and yet, you know what? You get yourself be taken captive by Christ and you give him your past and you know what happens? You're not a victim anymore. You, you find victory and, and, you know, you get this testimony, this incredible, incredible, incredible testimony. The end of verse 13 talks about Israel being, or God being the glory of Israel. And let me tell you, when you worship Christ, yes, God can be your glory God can shine his glory through you and through your past. So what did we learn today? Let's run through this. We learned that what we are worshiping, we are becoming as our deities shape our identities. We learned that we can identify the idols in our life by what we value, a subsidiary of gratitude and by trust. And we also learned that value and hope those two words are kind of tied into this whole thing of lifestyle worship. What do I value and what I trust leads to my hope. And then we learn that idols can take us captive. We learn, number two, that if when we worship that that is not worthy of our worship, we fail to worship the one who is. And then we learn that our worship can be a burden or it can relieve our burdens. And there are no questions on your handouts today. There's one question. Is there an idol or two or three in my life that are a burden? that I'm carrying through life with me. Let me leave you with this story. I found this really fascinating. And the wounded healer, Henry Nowen, retells a tale from ancient India. Four royal brothers decided to each master a special ability. Time went by and the brothers meant to reveal what they had learned. I have mastered a science, said the first, by which I can take but a bone of some creature and create the flesh that goes with it. I, said the second, know how to grow that creature's skin and hair if there is flesh on its bones. The third said, I am able to create its limbs if I have the flesh, the skin, and the hair. And I, concluded the fourth, know how to give life to that creature if its form is complete. Thereupon the brothers went into the jungle to find a bone so they could demonstrate their specialties. As fate would have it, the bone they found <clears throat> was a lion's. One added flesh to the bone, the second grew hide and hair, the third completed it with matching limbs, and the fourth gave the lion life. Shaking his mane, the ferocious beast arose and jumped on his creators. He killed them all and vanished contentedly into the jungle. 
We too have the capacity to create what, we, what can devour us. Goals and dreams can consume us. Possessions and property can turn and destroy us unless we first seek God's kingdom and righteousness and allow Him to breathe into what we make of life. Let's pray. Father God, what a message this was for me just going through this. There was so much in here and so much to process and we start thinking about what are the things in life that we may be worshiping? And God, that's a personal thing for each one of us in this room. But Lord, I pray that none of us go out the door today carrying that burden of that idol, that we would recognize it, that we would surrender it to you today, that we would say, Lord, I get that, that, that person, that thing, that emotion, that feeling, whatever that is, that is an idol that I'm, that I'm just carrying through life. It's a burden and it's taking away my song. And I pray today, Lord, that we would put our full trust in you we would find our full worth in you and when we do we would find that you are worthy of giving us hope hope to carry us through a lifetime in jesus name amen and amen Amen.